You're listening to the teaching of Calvary Paris. For more information, go to www.calvaryparis.com. There was a little boy who attended a church that had one of those stained glass windows, and or lots of them, and he would sit during the service and just kind of look at them, and he was kind of in awe of them, and the pictures of St. Matthew and St. Mark and St. Luke and St. Paul, all these other saints, St. John. And one day somebody asked him, well, what is a saint? And the little boy simply replied, well, it's someone who the light shines through. And I like that little definition. It's a simple definition of what a saint is. But that word saint has actually come far from its original New Testament meaning. When we think of a saint, we often think of some, you know, like a stained glass figure. They're a stylized human figure. Maybe he's got that weird gold orb around their head. You know, have you ever seen that? (laughs) Kind of freaks me out when I see guys walking around with that. But... Or we might think of someone who's officially been declared as an ecclesiastical relic, right? Somebody from the church that, you know, um, well, it just gets weirder after that. But anyways, in the Bible, the word saint is simply a person or a people who are following Jesus. That's why I love the Bible. It simplifies things, keeps it simple. A saint is simply someone who it refers to someone who has placed their trust in Christ, they, their faith in Him, and they believe in Christ and they are following Christ, okay? Now, Paul wrote to one of the worst churches in the New Testament, the church of Corinth, and yet because they were in Christ, Paul calls them saints. And today, I want to share a message with you as saints, You might not think of yourself as a saint, but if you've placed your trust in Christ and you're following him, you biblically qualify as a saint. So I want to share with you something that I believe is very important for you saints out there at Calvary Chapel of Paris. What is our core, or I'm sorry, what are our core values as a church? Last week we looked at our mission statement. Our mission statement explains what we do. We also looked at our vision statement. Our vision is uh, explaining who we are and where we're going. And it's a simple phrase, to know Christ and to make him known. I want to take some time today, though, to huddle with you guys in the locker room, so to speak. We're going to huddle. We're going to talk about, <laughs> we're going to get on the same page so we know the play, but then we're going to break and get back out there wherever God has placed us, and we're going to run the play, okay? Okay. So the core values is what guides us as a church in accomplishing our mission and vision. If you're taking notes, you might want to jot this down. You see, a value is not just something worth keeping. A value is actually an important principle, or it should be. Values are based on principles of truth that never change. Now, values are principles that we honor. We follow them. In order to accomplish vision, we shouldn't think of values like rules, okay? Rules are external, and uh, they're, they're not the same. Rules are really meant to serve us, and we can change rules whenever we want to. But listen, values are meant to guide us from the inside, and even when no one is watching, okay? For those of us who are parents, we know this difference, Instead of teaching our kids a list of rules, we want our kids to understand God's principles, God's values. Because we know that at some point in time, when someone's not around to enforce a rule, our kids are going to be led by something. 
And we want our children's hearts to be filled with God's values that He might lead them to make the right decisions in their lives. Now, in much the same way, God has given His church a set of core values to live by. His core values are based on His own moral character. They're based on truths that are tied into who God is. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. So let's read this passage in Ephesians together. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. Follow along with me in your Bibles, please. It says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. I want to pause very quickly. Notice there in verse 12, there are three phrases that build on each other and are linked together for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, verse 13. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Verse 15. But... Speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love." Let's stop right there. This is going to be our text this morning, but I want to tell you something about our text. It starts with Jesus Christ, it ends with Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ fills the content of it as well. It's important to realize Jesus Christ is central to the church and to our core values. Now, this is our biblical source for core values as a church. The first one is found there in verse 11, and it is God's provision. And and let me just encourage you guys to take out your little handouts this morning. You can follow along and fill in the blanks. It's a great way to retain knowledge. It's a great way to come out of here with something you can file away in your Bible and pull out at another time. And it also has some questions provided for you on the back. And this is really good if you ever want to sit down with your family as the head of your household and kind of just go over this with your kids or with your uh, uh, teenagers or whoever it might be in your house. Or if you attend a life group, it's a great guide to just go through and learn together as a church. The first one is God's provision. Where God guides, he provides. Notice in verse 11 there, God has given gifted men to the church, to accomplish the mission. God gave gifted men to the church in order to lead His church on the earth. In other words, God is guiding the church through men that He provides, which He has gifted to do that. He has gifted them to lead His church. And He establishes these four offices for church leadership. And I want to go over these with you here this morning. There are four, even though it looks like there are five, because the last one, pastors and teachers, is clearly meant to be unified as one office if you study the Greek language there, okay? So pastor-teacher is really one office in the church. Now let's go over these. I want to start with the last one first, and we'll work our way back up 
to apostles. So pastor-teacher. One might be a teacher in the church and not be called to pastor. Okay, it is, there are certainly many good teachers within the church, but not all of those teachers are going to be called to pastor. But listen, the flip side of that is this. Every man that is called to pastor will also be a teacher. You know why? Because God has provided gifted men to teach the church His word, His principles, that they might be led and guided in their Christian walk, in their faith, in understanding and knowing Christianity. So if a pastor says, oh, I'm not a teacher, then he's either not called to the pastoral ministry or he needs to get with the program. He needs to realize that God has put him in a place where he's responsible for actually teaching God's children. Very important point. So God establishes that, the very first one, their pastor, teacher. Now, we go on from there. Evangelist. An evangelist is someone who not only is gifted to share the gospel. Okay, that's certainly part of it. But it's much more than just sharing the gospel. An evangelist is someone who can take the gospel to new areas, new neighborhoods, new places, and start a church that thrives and prospers in that place. That is an evangelist. Okay. Now, every evangelist is also first going to be a pastor teacher. Okay. Pastor teacher, there is kind of where you get, is, is the entry level, so to speak. And as that man grows in his walk with the Lord, he should be coming to a place where he is now sending people out or going out himself and evangelizing, taking the gospel to a new place, starting that new church, getting a ministry going where one is needed. Thirdly, a prophet. Now, a prophet is going to be a pastor teacher who is also an evangelist, has taken the gospel and is spreading it, but is also now a man who becomes a prophetic voice to the church in his generation. In other words, God has clearly raised this man up, and over time, through the fruit of his life, his faithfulness in being a pastor teacher, his faithfulness in being an evangelist, now God is using this individual as a prophetic voice to declare God's truth in his generation. Then from there, you guys get the the point. We go to apostles. That word means one who is sent. One who is sent. Now, in the New Testament church, obviously, it is going to refer directly to the 12 men who Jesus called and established, minus Judas, but plus Matthias, who was chosen in Acts chapter 1 to replace him. Now, some people believe that Paul is really the official replacement of Matthias, But of course, that's just speculation and conjecture. You could go back and forth on that. You could take either position. It's okay. What we do know for sure, if we were to take Paul's life, Paul is a great example of someone who fulfills all four of these church offices. Paul was a pastor teacher. Remember in Corinth, he taught for a year and a half faithfully the word of God to those that came and listened and were discipled. He did the same thing in Ephesus for over three years. He, he rented a space. He taught classes there throughout the week and, and raised and, and taught God's truths. Not only that, though, Paul was also an evangelist. He would pick up and move on after that time of teaching and raising up disciples. He would raise up the local leadership. Then he would take the gospel to a new place and start again. That's, that's the work of an evangelist. And then from there, he was also a prophet. He was definitely a prophetic voice, declaring God's truth in his generation. But more than that, he was also sent by God in that time 
for such a time as that to be the man that God was using to lead the church in that time. He was a pastor, teacher, evangelist, prophet, and also an apostle in the sense that he was sent by God. In his letters, he introduced himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Notice he used a lowercase a. Big difference. When we're speaking of apostles in the sense of New Testament apostles, we're talking about the 12 original apostles. When we're talking about just an apostle, lowercase a, we're talking about someone who does the ministry of an apostle. They don't necessarily need the title of that apostle. Now, popular question. Are there apostles today? This is what everybody wants to know. Simple answer is this. No, not in the sense of the original 12 New Testament apostles. Unfortunately, there are some people who like to call themselves apostles. However, this is just a title that they often give to themselves. Listen to this, church. I'm going to give you a clue. Anyone who is a true servant of Jesus Christ will never insist on a title. And that starts from the very beginning all the way up. It starts as a deacon. The person who's a deacon, that word deacon simply means servant. A deacon is someone who serves. If someone is insisting on a title, there's a problem. Same thing with elder, same thing with pastor, teacher, evangelist, all the way up. If someone is insisting on a title, they've got the wrong heart, and there's a problem. Now, however, here's a question. Are there godly men who have been sent by God to serve the church in a leadership role in their particular generation? I think there are, yes. I think there are. Men like Billy Graham, for example, who served God's church as a man who was sent by God for his generation. And there are men like him, some of whom we might not ever know their names, but they are those faithful men of God whom God has raised up and is using in the office of apostle, one who is sent by God for that particular generation. And they've shown that because they've been faithful as a deacon, as an elder, and then they've been called to pastor teacher ministry, and they've been an evangelist, and they've become a prophetic voice. And, and now God has raised and elevated this man to the place where this is a leader in the church, apostle, little a, think with me, okay? No such thing as the apostles like there were in the New Testament. But in the office for the church as a leader, God is never without his prophets, evangelists, pastor teachers, yes, and even those that fulfill that ministry of apostle in the church. Now I want you to understand though, our core value this morning comes from the principle that undergirds this. What is the principle? Well, the principle is that God is always providing When he guides his church, he provides the right man with the right gifts for the right people at the right time. And that is God's provision for the church. This principle guides us as we accomplish our mission and vision as a church. How does it guide us? Well, number one, it helps us trust God. It it helps us to see that, okay, this is the Lord's church. And we're called to trust God with his church. This helps me as a pastor and our leadership team to know that we don't have to manipulate you guys. 
We don't have to come here and beg for money or make you guys feel bad because you're not giving enough to the church. We don't have to come in and make it seem like God is in need and, and you know, that he doesn't own the cattle on a thousand hills and he couldn't just provide for his own church. We don't have to do that because now we know, hey, God is going to guide us wherever he is provide, or he's going to provide for us wherever he is guiding for us. Now, the opposite of that could also be true. We might, from time to time, realize, okay, God, we don't see provision in this area that we're ministering in, or in this branch of our ministry, or what we're doing over here. We don't see God's provision for it anymore. And so it might be time just to say, you know what? It's time to stop. It's time to look and, and get back in our prayer closet and seek Jesus and find out where the Spirit of God is guiding us, where He is taking us. So this value or this principle helps us so that we don't have to come in and, and put the onus on you guys or it's not on me. Hey, we're trusting God to guide us in this ministry. But secondly, this also helps us to step out and try big things. And I love this. And for those of you that are unfamiliar with Calvary Chapel, Calvary Chapel is actually famous for doing things like this. Stepping out in faith. We call them ventures of faith. So we realize, okay, we don't have to wait now until everything that we need before we can step out in and, and accomplish our vision. I'm, I'm sorry, we don't have to sit around and wait until we have everything that we need in order to step out and accomplish our vision. If we know that God is guiding us and our basic needs are being met, then we can step out in faith realizing that God is going to continue to provide for us. Now, this is one of the areas that Rebecca and I uh, experienced personally as we stepped out to plant a church in Costa Rica. We knew that we would have needs. And so we, we sat down and we, we came up with a, a, a skeleton budget, so to speak, of this is what we would need in order to go out and to plant a church, what we would need to be supported. And we presented that letter to our pastor and to our church and our friends and family. And within one month, the Lord provided our base needs to go on to the mission fields in one month. And we, we took that as a sign. Okay, God, you are providing for us. And so, God, we are going to step out in faith. <clears throat> and that doesn't mean that we had everything that we wanted, but we certainly had what we needed. And God provided. I, I, I mentioned this in first service. God provided for my family and I for 10 years without us ever having to go back and to ask for more money. We never had to bring up that again. We were supported for 10 years without ever having to come and say, guys, we need to raise more money. And that's miraculous because many missionaries spend more than 50% of their time focused on you know, getting finances raised. So when God provides, we know that he is guiding. And the opposite of that is true. Where, where we don't see God's provision, hey, maybe it's time to pull back in that area and realize that he wants to do something different. I want to close out this point just by saying this. God is also your provider. Okay? He is Yahweh Jireh, the God who provides your needs. He's not going to provide everything you want. But he's going to make sure that you've got the clothing that you need, the food that you need, and the shelter that you need. And, and I know that because he's done that. He's been that for me. And he's been that for you guys as well. He is the great I am, the Lord who provides. Now, our second core value this morning at Calvary Chapel is multiplication. We believe in equipping and discipling God's people. Equipping slash discipling, it's all part of the same process. 
here at Calvary Chapel. Look at verse 12 in Ephesians 4 with me. It says, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. So focus in there on that word equip. Equipping the saints. What does that mean? Well, for us, this is the bringing of you guys, the saints, to a condition of fitness for the discharge of your functions as the body of Christ. In order for you guys to be able to carry out and to do the things that consist of the body of Christ, we want to pour into you. We want to bring you up to a condition of fitness for being able to do that, spiritually speaking, of course. We're not going to run a, a spiritual Zumba class down here at the church on Monday mornings, okay? Although maybe, maybe, maybe I need it, but it's okay. But we're going to do, do training in the spiritual realm, teaching you the Word of God, Offering classes at the School of Discipleship Ministry. Going through the Old Testament or in the New Testament on Wednesday nights. Okay, Those are things that we're going to be doing to equip you guys for the work of the ministry. Now, notice there that this implies that every Christian then has a work of ministry. Don't overlook that part. You have a spiritual task. You have a function in the body of Christ. And if you're not carrying that out, we are hurting we are hurting. This body is hurting if you are not plugged in and fulfilling your work of the ministry. We need you. We really do. We need those of you that have compassion and mercy to be reaching out to the hurting. We need those of you with hospitality to be coming alongside and and providing a meal or, or hosting a dinner or having someone over for coffee. We need those of you that have the gift of teaching to be signing up for things like youth ministry and children's ministry and getting involved in the school of discipleship and ministry and using those gifts. We need people that have gifts from the Lord to function in their place within the body of Christ. And maybe you're an extrovert. Maybe you're an introvert. If you're an introvert, you can find find plenty of areas to serve the Lord where no one's even going to know that you were doing something for Him. It's going to be between you and the Lord and maybe a few people on staff at church. You've got to get into the building or something like that. But listen, that's what we want to be about. We want to be about equipping you for the work of the ministry. We want to train people up, and then we want to give ministry away. What do I mean when I say give ministry away? When I say that, I'm referring to the example of Jesus Christ in ministry. The scripture will be on your screen. It's Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 through 8. Notice how Jesus did ministry. It says, These twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles. Do not enter a city of the Samaritans. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Then he says something interesting. He says, freely you have received, freely give. Notice that. Freely you've received, freely give. Here's God in the flesh taking time out of his busy schedule to teach disciples how to do ministry. And he says, you know what? You freely received from me. You should have the attitude to go out and to freely give. He did this both with the 12 apostles as well as with the 70 disciples. He trained them up and then he sent them out. Notice that none of these disciples had degrees from Bible college. None of them spent years in seminary training. 
Nobody had a psychology degree to go out and counsel people. What did he do? He lived his life with them. He showed them how to do ministry through his own life. And then he said, all right, guys, your turn. Guess what? That's what we value here at Calvary Chapel. We value that kind of ministry. We want you guys to be involved. And this is the attitude of multiplication, which is our core value. In ministry, we don't want to hold you back because we don't teach you or train you. We don't want you, we don't want you guys to think, oh man, what, what if I, you know, what if Phil trains me up and I actually become a better pastor than he is and then, then, I, then I have to take his job, you know? Hey, if you become a better pastor than me, I'm going to praise the Lord, okay? And I pray that there's 50 guys in here that get trained up and become better pastors than me. You know why? Because we will have an amazing impact for the kingdom of God if that happens. And I would be more than happy to, to, to see that happen in this place. So listen, you know, if you've ever worked in a good, successful organization, and it's not hard to be a better pastor than me, by the way, just want to make note of that for sure. But if you've ever worked in a good, successful organization, you learn that if you learn how to train others up, and you get good at that, you actually make yourself irreplaceable in that organization, don't you? Because your boss looks at you and goes, huh, that guy, he's a hard worker. He trains other people and then he delegates. And there's a way more stuff getting done than we had before. I think I'm going to fire him. No, I don't think that's how it works. They go, oh my goodness, we need to get this guy in more responsibility. We need to get more people under him so he can train more people up. And so that this organization continues to go the way it needs to go. That's That's the core value we're talking about, this process of multiplication. Luke chapter 10. Again, we see this in Jesus' ministry. Luke chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. These will be on the screen. It says, And after these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. And then he said to them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So notice here, Jesus too, he holds to this core value, this principle of multiplying. He started with 12, but here he's sending 70. And look at what he says, the harvest is great, but the laborers are few. Guys, the harvest is too great to quibble and argue about non-essential things over here on the sidelines. We need to get in the game, and we need to get involved in sending out and ministering and praying for the people that God has out there to to harvest. We need to be praying that God would send us more people here to be trained and to begin to do the work of the ministry. That brings us to our third core value, and we're going to speed up. Number three is edification. This is building God's church by building people. Look at the verse 12 again with me. It says, For the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So listen, what is done for the saints at Calvary Chapel? And what is done by the saints at Calvary Chapel, you guys, is all for one purpose, well, we could say two. First one is exalting God. We want to bring glory to God through the way that we, we do this. But secondly, it's for nurturing the body of Christ. 
We are nurturing the body. We're building people. I believe that our greatest assets as a church are not our building. It's not our bank account. It's you guys. You guys, the people that are here, that are members of our church, this is your church. You guys are our greatest assets. Therefore, we want to nurture people. We want to nurture your spiritual gifts. We want to build up your abilities, your talents, your passion for the kingdom of God. We want you to have a place to come and to pour all of that out as worship to the Lord. Our goal is to build people until we all come to the unity of the faith. What does that mean, the unity of the faith? That's talking about all of us being, having a united, being on the same page doctrinally, philosophically. And so that's why I'm talking about core values today. I want us to be on the same page so that we can get to that place where we become a perfect, complete man. Not without sin, not without error, that's not what that's talking about, but complete. We're focused in on building people, whole people. We believe that the gospel does that. The gospel heals people's lives. But helping someone to use your gifts, their talents, your experiences, your life experiences, and using those for the fullest for God. When the gospel touches our lives, Jesus makes us whole, and then we begin to experience what it means to have an abundant life that's worth living, okay? And here at Calvary Chapel, we don't want to put a limit on how much you guys can use your gifts and talents and passions for the kingdom of God. One guy I know sold used comic books to fund an outreach. He was a guy that was way into comic books, had boxes of old ones stored up. And his church was having an outreach. They were short on funds. He said, Pastor, I would love to sell some of my old comic books and see how much money I could raise for this outreach. He ended up raising over $2,000 to put down towards an outreach in which people got saved. Can you imagine that guy's reward when he gets to heaven? Hey, you didn't even hold on to these old comic books as much as you, you know, didn't value them as much as you valued people's souls. And God used, was able to use him to do that. I know of another guy who uh, wants to use his skills as a graphic artist just to, to, to create and design these games with a Christian morals. Hey, that's excellence in God's name. That's awesome. We, we love that. We want to get behind things like that. Uh, there's another woman who taught a quilting class in a church, and each pattern was a lesson about a woman from the Bible. When those ladies took that quilt home, hey, they had that pattern there laid out, and it would remind them of the story of the Bible. Little things like that. It's amazing. God uses things like that. I was talking to a guy after last service who told me that he took one of our new believer books and threw it in one of the guy's cars at his work, you know. He's leaving work and just chucked it through the window, you know. Two weeks later, the guy came back and was like, hey, I just want you to know, I got saved and my family's going to church, you know. Hey, God used this guy. He's got a good arm, you know. He's just chucked it right through the window. I'm telling you, God can use skills like you wouldn't believe. Simple things. That's what we're all about. Fourthly here, we also value the process of maturity or maturation. This passionate life with, you know, passionate about authentic, practical Christianity. Look at verse 14 with me. 
says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. So guys, our goal is to produce mature Christians here that are not getting blown around by every wind of doctrine that enters the church through the deceitfulness and the trickery of human beings that are trying to make a profit. Men and women that are just looking to make a buck and they're coming in and they're introducing literature and philosophies and ministries and it's just a bunch of garbage in the sight of the Lord. Hey, we want to raise you guys up and train you up to where you're reading your Bibles and you're looking at it and you're going, that doesn't really jive with Scripture. Or this man's attitude and his heart and the fruit I'm seeing in his life, that doesn't jive with the Scriptures. And I see that. And so I'm not going to just jump on that bandwagon. Authentic Christianity causes the body to grow up in love because it's based on discipleship. The focus is not on converts. The focus is not on numbers. The focus is on the quality of the people. We want to teach you guys God's word so that we all change the way we operate. We want to become salt and light because of changed lives, not because of what we say. So I want to challenge you guys to dream big and to step out in faith for the Lord. You guys remember guys like Moses and Joseph in the scriptures. They dreamed big. They had ambition. But you know what? God took those men in their dreams and he worked in their lives. He, he worked in principles of godly character, didn't he? He broke them down a little bit. They went through hard times. They didn't just get to where they are in the Bible in one day. It was a process of growing in their walk with Christ, of maturing in their faith. And guys, that's our core value here is that we're passionate about that, that practical, authentic Christian walk learning how to be Christians, how to walk with Christ in all different areas of our lives. How can that happen? Hey, that happens over a cup of coffee. It happens over a lunch. It happens in life groups. It happens in school discipleship and ministry classes. It happens in lots of different ways, but we value authentic Christianity. And then lastly, here at Calvary Chapel, we also value adaptation, meaning that we're committed to reaching culture without compromising doctrine or gospel message. Okay, adaptation, committed to reaching culture without compromising doctrine or the gospel message. Look at verse 16 with me. It says, And from the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body, For the edifying of itself in love. So notice here, the body of Christ never stops growing. It never gets stagnant. It never becomes a rigid religious monument to the past. We never get so hung up in tradition that we can't do something new to reach the culture with the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is hugely important. Because there are a lot of churches around us that have become monuments to the past. Oh, that's the way we do things. That's just the way it's always been done. How dare you suggest that we do something new, you know? And and there's this rigidity. And there's this lack of dependence on the life that the Spirit gives. This lack of willingness to surrender and submit and to say, God, how do you want to reach the people around us? 
God, what do you want to do in our community that's specific to the needs that we see here? So we want to be committed to changing ourselves, yet without compromising the gospel message. Let me make sure that you hear that. I don't want anybody to go home today and say, and that's it. Pastor Phil said we need to be a flexible church. We need to adapt and become like the world. I don't want you to go home and say anything like that, okay? I said we need to adapt in order to reach the culture without compromising doctrine and the message of the gospel. Think about it, guys. Just in the time that I've been the pastor at this church, the stage has changed. Some of the decorations in the church have changed. Some of the carpet is going to change. Some things are going to change. But guess what? Those are bells and whistles. Here's what's never going to change. The doctrine and the message of the good news of Jesus Christ, okay? That's what matters. That is what matters. And the day that that changes is the day that we cease to be relevant in this world. That's when we lose our relevance. So we need to not be afraid to make changes to programs because instead of holding on to programs, we're trying to hold on to people, okay? We want to hold on to people. Those are our greatest asset. Now, in conclusion, what is the goal? What is the end goal for this message today? Well, according to the scriptures that we've been given by the Lord as a church, it, should, it would be this, that we would be this living church, guys, that is trusting God for his provision and guidance. That means we're not afraid to step out in faith and try big things. So I love about what Drew and Tandy Little are doing, and he's going to be talking about that a little bit more next week with us. They're taking a step of faith, guys, and I love it. I love that they're doing that. Is it scary? Oh, yeah, you better believe it. Do they have a clue? No, they don't even have a clue what's coming. But is it going to be amazing, and is God going to be with them every step of the way? You better believe it. He's going to be with them every step of the way. He's already been providing for them in amazing ways, and and where he's providing, I know he's guiding. Secondly, a church that's being equipped by the leadership for the work of the ministry A church that's being built up by our love and service to each other. And a church, guys, what do I mean by that That love and that service? It could be as simple as, man, I notice that somebody that sits with me in this aisle every week is not here this week. And I'm going to shoot him a text. Not in like a weird, creepy way, like, hey, where were you? Are you in sin? You know? Did you, have you walked away from the Lord? You know? (laughs) Didn't have to be a weird thing, just... Hey, I I always sit by you at church and I missed you this Sunday. Everything okay, you know? Maybe after three weeks you show up at their house, you know, ding dong, you know, (laughs) I'm just kidding. But, you know, caring about the people that are around us, getting to know the people around us, that's how we love and serve one another. It's a big thing. There's a lot of people going around, going through crazy things in their lives, and they're sitting right next to you on the aisle that you're in, and then they don't show up, and the next thing we know, they're gone. And, and, and we miss them, and it hurts. But the work of the ministry means that you love and serve one another. Not that the pastor up here recognizes every time someone's missing from the congregation and goes, oh man, we got to, we, we, you, know, you know, let's get on it. Hey, I like to do that. I want to do that. But the reality is I just can't do that. I'm a human being. I can't keep track of 300 plus people. Maybe they're going to replace me with a robot that can. I don't know. But anyways, 
We want to be passionate about authentic, real Christianity. And lastly, stay flexible. Reach the culture with the good news of Jesus Christ. Okay, I pray that this has been helpful. I pray that the Holy Spirit will fill us together as a church with a sense of purpose. And that we would live together in light of the mission that Christ has given us as his church. Are we perfect? No way. Far cry from it. Starting with me. But hey, does that change the fact that God has given us these values to live by? No, it doesn't. And so if we come together in the unity of the faith that we've been given, I know that God can use us to accomplish great things for him. I pray that these core values will become a part of all of us, helping us to get on that same page and stirring us up to step out, stepping out in faith, going, hey, maybe God wants to send me somewhere. Maybe God wants to use me somehow. Maybe there's a way that I can improve this in our church. Maybe there's somebody next to me in my neighborhood that I can be bringing to this. And all of those things, guys, pray how God wants to use you in the work of the ministry. Let's pray.